Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim Podcast, episode 110. I am Steve Harnick, your host, and this is the podcast where I take a dive into my personal journey with technology plus other tidbits that I find interesting. This episode is being recorded and released on Thursday, July 9th, 2020. Visit pixelswim.com for all of these show notes and social links if you want to follow along or uh, just leave any feedback. It's always appreciated. So again, that's at pixelswim.com. Plenty of ways to get in contact there. So let's dive into the show, uh, starting with some feedback from episode 109. So on MeWe, we had Guillermo Ortiz saying huzzah, because <laughs> I'm uh, it's my my coming back episode or whatever you want to call it, the uh, return episode last week. So thank you, Guillermo. Uh, thank you to Frank Needhart, who also reached out. Uh, he said he uh, has to admit that he returned his iPhone SE and is using an iPhone XS now that he managed to get for the same price. Uh, he says, it's great that you still love the S10e, though. I guess it helps that you have a Snapdragon variant. Yes, thank you, Frank. Uh, yeah, the the I hope the XS uh, works out for you. I know you like the small device as well, which is why you had that original iPhone SE. Uh, and yeah, the Snapdragon version of the S10e, S10e that I have, the Samsung, uh, yeah, is snappy and there's hardly any lag except in a few spots for certain apps and stuff like that but other than that it's been really good so uh also thank you to ted salmon who reached out after the last episode he said uh welcome back glad you got settled though i'm not sure about the principle of sharing the man cave with the missus (laughs) i shall be keen to hear about your views on the g8 power on the next show and so, yeah, thank you, Ted, for reaching out about that. I think I, uh, again, I told this to Ted on MeWe as well, uh, that it's not exactly a man cave. My wife and I kind of have a, it's more of a creative space, like a studio. I don't know. It's just a place for me to fix my phones, my wife to work on all of her hobbies and stuff like that. So, yeah, no man cave exactly, uh, and probably not in this house. My wife and I get along pretty well, and we work well together. So it's never been an issue for us. But uh, yeah, thank you, Ted, for reaching out. And I think that's it. I think that's all the feedback after the last episode. So thank you for that. Again, head over to pixelswim.com if you want to leave any of your own or some more if you've already left feedback. So uh, thanks again. All right. So on this episode, I'm going to talk about buying a new television. Uh, I'm also going to go over some upgrades uh, to an old stereo system. And I'm also going to talk a little bit about uh, trying some Plex alternatives. Uh, just kind of fe- putting my feelers out there. I'm also going to do the, the, the usual Galaxy S10e weekly report. And talk a little, lastly, uh, talk a little bit about uh, this iPhone that I fixed and the potential for actually using it. So, yeah, let's continue on into the first topic which is buying a new TV. (laughs) So uh, we moved into this new house, as I mentioned last time, and uh, we kind of getting, we're kind of getting the living room area uh, set up. And so we have a 32 inch TV that we had two TVs. We had a 29 inch Philips and a 32 inch Vizio branded TV. And so we we tried out the 32-inch Vizio in the living room, 
and uh, the living room is much bigger than our previous living room, so it was kind of like watching TV on a postage stamp. Uh, very difficult to to see details of what's going on and stuff like that. Uh, so we decided that we were. I kind of had decided before we moved that we were going to get a new TV, a bigger TV. I kind of knew that we would need one. Uh, so yeah, so I, I kind of had already been looking into it a little bit before we we moved and you know once we decided that the 32 inch tv was not going to be big enough for our living room i kind of was ready to go on what to purchase so uh some of the criteria of what i'm looking for or was looking for is i didn't honestly really want a smart tv uh which is actually kind of a difficult task these days usually uh, most places that you go have one or two options by way of no s internal smarts on the TV as far as all the apps, the streaming apps, etc. that come on most TVs these days. But really I narrowed it down is that I didn't want a Roku TV. Now Roku is a big media streaming device over here in the U.S. I, know, I don't think it's... Uh, I'm not sure how common it is outside of the U.S. Uh, let me know if it is uh, in your neck of the woods and so there's TVs that come with the the, the Roku software built in already uh, and this is not uh, something that I wanted especially because my in-laws have one a Roku TV and it's a you get them fairly cheap there's a TCL actually makes a pretty cheap but uh, good Roku TV over here in the US uh, they have one, and it's a. I think it's a couple years old now, but the the software interface on it lags, <laughs> kind of crazily lags, and and, and essentially, uh, it's becoming unusable. The screen on it is fine, which is what drives me crazy. But uh, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to avoid a Roku TV. Uh, and and what comes with a Roku TV is just the kind of a regular Roku remote, which does not come with full featured TV remote with all the options and the bells and the whistles on it. Uh, it's just basic navigating and uh, some shortcut buttons and a play and a pause and you know volume and that kind of thing. But no numbers, no menus, no input buttons, that kind of thing. So really. Uh, if I was going to get a smart TV, if it came down to that, which it didn't, but uh, if I was going to, it, I think it would have to have a full-fledged remote with it and it would not be uh, a Roku TV with a limited remote. Uh, basically, what I kind of thought and narrowed it down to was that I wanted a remote control for the TV that, that still had an input button where the input was still kind of a separate part of the software on the TV. Uh, to switch over to the HDMI ports and stuff like that, because basically I'm just hooking up uh, Roku to all of the <laughs> all of my TVs anyway, uh, and I figured that way that I just have a essentially what I was looking for is a dumb screen, you know, just something to display uh, what my media device is on. Uh, I didn't need any anything fancily built in to them so into the TV, so. Yeah, just something with a plenty of uh, HDMI inputs. Uh, so essentially what it came down to is I found uh, on at Best Buy again, been doing a lot of purchasing at Best Buy tech-wise lately. Uh, I got an Insignia 43-inch TV. So Insignia is the brand. Uh, this is kind of Best Buy's budget brand. Uh, and we also got an Insignia soundbar with it. So the big difference with this TV is obviously it's not a smart TV. Uh, it just comes with all the, the stuff that you would expect, you know, kind of pre-smart TV world. 
And uh, sorry if you hear anything in the background. Our neighbors are outside playing in the water right now. It's a hot day. So anyway, uh, yeah, so the TV itself was $169. Again, this is a 43-inch TV, 1080p. Uh, it looks really great. Uh, for $169, you can't go wrong for that size of TV. Now, something that would be like a Roku or a smart TV, would you could add $100 on for that type of thing, uh, which honestly doesn't make a lot of sense since you can get a Roku or another streaming player for pretty cheap. Uh, I actually got to go with this TV, the Roku Express, I believe it's called. It's just a basic Roku. It's a 1080p, plugs into the HDMI port, that's it. And, uh, you know, has all the streaming channels and all that stuff to add in there. So, uh, yeah, $169 for the TV. It's very small bezels. I'll put a link to this in the show notes so you can take a look at it as well uh, and get a better idea. Uh, and, yeah, overall, it looks really great. Uh, it's a what you would kind of expect for 1080p TV. The picture is very nice, very vibrant. Uh, you know, you can there's plenty of settings still on there to adjust the picture and, uh, you know, and adjust and have different sort of audio settings as well uh, for an output, uh, which again, we bought the soundbar with it. So I just got the Insignia one to match the TV brand. Uh, the soundbar was $79, which is actually a pretty good price as well. Uh, and it, I mean, it's not, it's not a blow you away sort of soundbar, but it is... Uh, it sounds really good. It's better than the TV speakers by far. So uh, very happy with both. Uh, easy to set up. Uh, the TV is so light <laughs> and, and just they just keep getting lighter and thinner and um, more bezel-less. So uh, we're very happy with the TV. It's just big enough for a living room uh, without being a Fahrenheit 451 wall of TV. So... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so with the soundbar as well, I wanted to get that too because we can finally actually kind of blast our TV as loud as we want uh, since we don't share any walls with anybody anymore now that we're in the new house. So we're happy to happy about that. We're happy that we can, you know, basically play things as loud as we want. So without uh, bothering anybody or getting any complaints or, uh, you know, getting the police called on us, that sort of thing. But uh Either way, yeah, we're happy with that setup. Uh, yeah, the Insignia TV, the the reviews on it were very good, and it turns out that that was uh, they were all correct. Uh, it looks great, and and just to you know, I know a lot of people these days are going 4K. Uh, there's the wave of 8K TVs coming in, and all that kind of thing. Uh, with, as far as TVs go, uh, I'm not too concerned about uh, the specs of the TV. I want, you know, I have a certain level that I go up to, but I don't worry about the latest and greatest when it comes to a TV. Uh, just because <laughs> I've always kind of, well, it just, you know, for being a tech person, you would think that I would, but it just has never really bothered me too much. Uh, for the most part, I've always kind of said that a bad movie or a TV show is going to be bad no matter what the resolution is and vice versa. A TV show that's good can transcend your uh, resolution, you know, not really looking for a cinematic experience, which I know some people are with the bigger TVs, with the higher resolution, etc., but uh, that's not exactly what I'm looking for. I don't, that's not how I consume my content. You know, I just, uh, we just want to watch it. We don't want to necessarily, you know, have the home theater experience. And with the soundbar, we got a little bit more of that. You know, it does sound better. It's easier to hear and understand and all that stuff. So, yeah, uh, our setup is good for us. Like I said, not too concerned 
um, with the, the, the latest and greatest. And because of that, we save a lot of money. <laughs> so, I mean, 169 plus 79, you know, those are, uh, that's a pretty, we got a TV and a sound bar for the, you know, half the price of a, of a really fancy TV. So, uh, I highly suggest, recommend these if you're in the U.S. and you have a Best Buy near you or you don't even need that because they will ship to you, obviously. And, uh, yeah, highly recommend the Insignia brand. Now, it, granted, it's only been a few weeks or a couple weeks that we've had this TV, so I can't, uh, speak too much to the longevity of it. But uh, at 169, uh, I hate to be wasteful, but if it breaks, you know, another 169, and we're still good to go. But I'm hoping, you know, that it will last. Uh, we shall see. So fingers crossed on that part. <laughs> that's the the one risk you take going the route that we went. But uh, yeah, so that's that was our sort of TV buying experience. All right, so one of the other things that I also sort of upgraded when we moved in was uh, our stereo system, quote unquote, uh, we kind of had a sort of a, a vintage or uh, an old school stereo setup. It was a little stereo cabinet with a record player and a couple of uh, pieces of stereo equipment. I'm not going to even try to tell you exactly what they are. There was a tape deck, uh, cassette tape deck, tape deck in one of them. I'm sure these things, two things, did more than I can explain, but. Uh, Either way, then it had a slot for records in the bottom of it. So a little record player cabinet with a you know couple with the record player on top and a couple pieces of stereo equipment in between. Uh, I'd, if I had to to age them, I'd say they were probably from the mid to late eighties, nineteen eighties that is. And uh, so essentially, what I wanted to do is I've always had my eyes on a Marshall speaker. Um, the the brand Marshall again I have their headphones the Marshall major major two Bluetooth headphones and uh, also just really love the Marshall style and I actually actually did post uh, about this setup that I created on uh, the whatever works group on MeWe so if you wanna if you have the inclination to head over to MeWe.com if you have an account there uh, you can search for the whatever works group and potentially join up. You can just tell them I know you because you have to answer some questions to get in, but you can see this post. But I'm going to read it for you just in case you don't uh, have the inclination to do that. But uh, either way, I titled the post Vintage Modern Stereo. So uh, I'll just read through it here. So I just upgraded, quote unquote, a an old stereo stand slash cabinet my wife and I inherited years ago, which features a Kenwood KD21R turntable. I swapped out the internal stereo equipment uh, with a Marshall Stanmore first generation Bluetooth speaker, which includes an RCA plug on the back to plug in the record player. I also ended up ordering a mini phono or Fano turntable preamp preamplifier, which sits between the record player and the speaker and amplifies the record amplifies the record player sound to normal suitable levels. So yeah, uh, side note is that when I first plugged in the record player to the Marshall speaker, it was very uh, quiet, uh, and I guess that's just how it is with the the old record players plugging right in. So. Either way, the Marshall Stanmore speaker sounds incredible and gets loud. It, is in, uh, it isn't portable and it requires being plugged into a wall socket, which is fine for the setup with the cabinet. 
It works great to stream from a phone via Bluetooth or spin some vinyl. By selecting the correct input via the retro controls on the top of the speaker, the speaker itself sits on the shelf where the old stereo equipment used to be and fits in great with that uh, fantastic Marshall aesthetic. Overall, I'm really happy with how it's set uh, with the setup. It looks and sounds great. So yeah, I posted a picture on there. I'll, I'll post a picture in the show notes of the, the the setup in the cabinet with the speaker and everything. Uh, it looks really cool. This the this speaker, this Marshall speaker, is really great. It's got like I said, it's got Bluetooth and uh, it's got the RCA on the back, so we can do the record player or I can stream from my phone. So um, very. Very good setup. The The speaker isn't cheap. It was about $200, and that was a used one. Uh, but it's worth every penny, in my opinion, um, mainly because of the, the build quality on it is, is much like a Marshall, Marshall amplifier. And so basically, you're getting a high-quality piece of equipment, and it sounds amazing, and it easily fills the entire downstairs of our house. So we're very, very happy with it. Uh, it's nice to put on. It gets quiet. It gets loud. It, and, you know, everything in between the bass is good. All the highs and mids and the lows, etc. sound great on it. So, um, yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, that speaker. And uh, again, a picture of, of that whole setup, but I just wanted to go over that because it was kind of a, you know, not a cheap upgrade, but it was a really nice way to, to kind of have that retro style with some modern features, which uh, fits in perfectly with the aesthetic in my wife and I's house, uh, just because we, that's us, we are, we are retro modern people. So yeah. All right, so the next topic is that I have been dipping into some Plex alternatives. Again, Plex is the media server that I've been that I set up uh, after ripping all of our DVDs, all 200 something of our DVDs, into MP4 files. Uh, and so I had a separate computer, a little Lenovo computer, set up to be uh, kind of an always-on Plex server. Uh, so the thing is, is that I was having some issues. Uh, once we moved in here, we got new internet service from a new company and they have an app that they sort of monitor your connection with. And uh, basically what was happening is it was blocking some threats that were coming into my Plex server from the outside world. And so I had some struggles trying to yeah, not have the Plex server connect to the internet on the outside in the outside world. Uh, basically, there was a port that was, I think, being attacked from somewhere. It said Ireland. I'm not sure uh, exactly where the attack, but I mean, it blocked it. Thank God. But I didn't even realize that sort of thing was happening. And so, uh, yeah. So I just started dipping my toe into some other alternatives for a media streaming server something that was more local uh sort of based more local or on your home network kind of a thing uh so the first one that i was looking at was servio s-e-r-v-i-i-o uh this is an open source software uh and it out of the box it is a uh, local only or home network only media service uh, streaming service uh, so basically you set it up as on a server much like i have and then it only runs on your home network and then if you want to run it outside of your network you buy the upgraded version 
Uh, so I tried that out a little bit. Uh, basically, that is just a DLNA server, which means that you have to have some other sort of app or device that can see that and stream the the videos from. And so I tried that out. Uh, on the, I set that up on the, the little Lenovo server that I have and, and use the Roku in our living room to, you can use the Roku Media Player, which is an app that's pre-installed on the Roku to see the server, the DLNA server, and you can uh, play the videos from it, but there's obviously no features in, involved with that. It's just sort of a play pause. It doesn't keep your playback position or bring in any really much of any metadata uh, for you to see. So um, not exactly the solution I was looking for. So the other one that I looked at was called MB, E-M-B-Y. And uh, this one is much more like Plex. Uh, it offers a lot of the same stuff that Plex does. It's a very similar business model, I think. Uh, and and it really, though, it, it was a lot easier to set it up to, to be just completely local out of the box. Uh, so that was what I really enjoyed with that. Uh, and it also has an app on, uh, for Roku. So you can, like I said, a lot, very similar to Plex. I'm actually thinking we might stick with this one. Uh, the other problem I was having though with my server is that uh, before we moved, I had, it, had the server hardwired into the router. And so basically with an ethernet cable directly from the computer to the router. Uh, but now the router is in a different room for uh, physical reasons. It had to be set up on this one outlet, which I'm working on maybe changing that. But now it's uh, connected wirelessly. Uh, and the little Lenovo computer that I have does not have a Wi-Fi card built in. So right now it's using a cheapy uh, USB Wi-Fi adapter to uh, connect and it constantly is dropping. So that's something that I need to either find a way to hardwire it into the network again um, or find a better Wi-Fi car, uh, USB Wi-Fi adapter for it. Uh, because also what I did with that Lenovo computer before, I did not have uh, any sort of monitor hooked up to it. So I had Chrome remote desktop connected to it so I could just remote into it. Uh, but now I have it set up with a monitor and a keyboard and a mouse uh, in my workspace here. So uh, that's kind of why the, I can't just uh, set the computer next to the, the router um, because I need to have it at this desk that I'm at. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Just little things here and there trying to get that set up so we can uh, easily view our media library in a good way. And <laughs> you know, not just a play and pause wave, you know, the features of Plex is, are, are nice because you can, you know, keep your playback position and come back and, you know, it knows what you've played, it knows what's recently added, all that stuff. So you're not just constantly going through a file list, you know, which is essentially what Servio was giving us, which is an ideal. But uh, yeah, so I'll put links to Servio and MB in the show notes so you can check those out. Um, but for now, I guess, uh, Plex is probably still the best one, but uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get all this sorted out. All right, so with all that out of the way, let's go into this week's Galaxy S10e Weekly Report. Good evening and welcome to the Galaxy S10e Weekly Report. 
All right, so the Galaxy S10e is still in my possession. I still have it. But really, this week, it's going to have to double as the Moto G Power review. <laughs> so yeah, I have been using the Galaxy S10e uh, for up until today. Uh, and honestly, I could really relate to what Tim Evans said on the last uh, phone show chat podcast uh, number 572. Not the midweek, the, the weekend one. Uh, basically he was kind of, I forget what phone he was referring to, but I can, I can relate to what he said, which the gist of it is that it's the S10e for me is it's so good that it's, it's kind of boring. It's a bit boring <laughs> for me. Uh, I mean, honestly, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I'm, a, I'm a tinkerer. I like to tinker. I like to, to try and figure out workarounds and uh, so stuff that just works uh, in Apple's words is a little bit boring for me to use on a daily basis. Uh, I Like I said, call me crazy. I like a workaround. Uh, obviously, I'm a big Windows phone fan, etc. But uh, yeah, so I decided uh, because I got the Moto G8 Power or G Power in the US here, it's just the G Power. Uh, I put my SIM card in it today. And so essentially how I came around to have uh, possessing this G Power uh, 2020 version, whatever you want to call it, is that uh, after we purchased our washer and dryer from Best Buy, uh, I had been eyeing up the G Power uh, for a little while. Uh, after we purchased that washer and dryer, we got some rewards, uh, rewards, points, or certificates, or whatever you want to call it. Because it was a big purchase, we got about $40 worth of reward certificates. So uh, I decided to take those and uh, use them <laughs> to purchase this Moto G Power. So that's kind of how I ended up in my hands. Uh, and as of today, I've had it for about a week. As of today, I finally put my SIM card in it, but I have been setting it up slowly without my SIM card in it over the past week or uh, in the last few days, really. So uh, getting it ready to go, you know, ready to take the SIM card kind of a thing. So yeah, uh, so that's my main device for at the moment. Uh, not to discount this whole Galaxy S10 weekly report because Lord knows it could go back to that next week. So, but uh, either way, the size difference is obviously huge between the Galaxy S10e and the Moto G Power. This, the Moto G Power is a very big phone. <laughs> so uh, it that's the kind of one of the things about it is it has a giant battery in it. So to accommodate that battery, they've made the phone extra large and it's got the the camera punch out uh, in the front screen as well, much like the S10e, but uh, just on the opposite corner uh, or yeah. So like I did with the Moto X4, I actually put Nova Launcher on the the, the Moto G Power uh, just because the, out of the, the stock one out of the box is just okay. Uh, but I, Nova Launcher is basically feels like a stock launcher, uh, but it kind of fix, er, you have the option to customize just a little bit and it still feel like it's stock, you know, you're not going too crazy with it. Plus the Moto default launcher out of the box actually had a, a problem with a couple of my widgets. So I use the Outlook app for my email and calendar on Android, or at least on Moto devices. And uh, what was happening is you can add shortcuts to your email or your calendar, which is all within the same app. 
which if you just add the regular Outlook uh, app shortcut to the home screen, uh, it, it'll open up wherever you last left off. So it's the the app offers a couple of widgets, which really are just look like app icons that will are shortcuts to the to the email section or the calendar section of the app. Uh, so I've been using those, but you can name those as you place them on the home screen. Uh, and well, one of them is is required to be called calendar, and it's just an Outlook calendar shortcut. And then the other one you can name, which I just named email. And so uh, I put both of those on the screen, and I noticed after I would restart on the Moto Launcher, it, which looks like a stock launcher, uh, the names would be gone, and they would both just say Outlook under them. But they're st they still worked correctly, <laughs> but it would drive me crazy that the, the names of the of those widgets had changed uh, on the screen, or at least under the icons had changed just to Outlook. Uh, every time I restarted, no matter what I did. <laughs> so I re-added them over and over, did not work. So uh, Nova Launcher did remedy the, this situation. And honestly, like I said, it doesn't feel much different than the Moto Launcher just because it's basically stock. So yeah, that's kind of where I've been with that uh, software wise. And then, um, as far as the camera goes, I haven't done a ton with the camera on the Moto G Power. I did take a wide-angle photo indoors uh, with some good daylight coming in, but uh, it was very noticeably grainy. Uh, haven't really done much else with the camera, but it was kind of a disappointing shot, uh, first shot with the wide-angle camera. It, I mean, it wasn't completely horrible, but it was, you know... I hate to compare it to the Galaxy S10e, but uh, it's hard not to. Uh, the camera quality is just not as good, uh, which is to be expected. The 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 these phones are com in completely different categories. So, but that's just what I noticed with the wide angle wide wide angle camera, uh, and I have decidedly <laughs> discovered that I do not like the fingerprint sensor mounted on the back, uh, which it is on the Moto G Power, uh, mostly because I do leave it. Uh, laying on a desk most of the day, so it's, it needs to be picked up in order to quickly unlock it with the fingerprint sensor. On um, the Galaxy S10e, obviously, it's on the side, which it makes it much easier. So, uh, yeah, and then so far, the battery on it has not disappointed, even though it's only been about a day. Uh, it's, you know, pretty easy to notice when coming from the Galaxy S10e that it, this thing has got a giant battery that's just sipping, you know, it's just sipping on the battery and you don't have to worry about it running down through the day, uh, especially if you use it a few times. So the Galaxy S10e, you know, it, it, it doesn't do too bad, you know, it gets me through the day pretty easily. But uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to not have to worry about it. That's kind of what I always say with the giant battery phones is it's just nice not to have to worry about it but uh yeah so for now i'm going to be keeping my sim card in the moto g power and i don't know for how long um but i am enjoying it and honestly my initial feelings right now as of right now is that i'm probably not gonna stick with this <laughs> the moto g power for very long and i might sell it on uh at some point uh, in the future not too distant future so yeah, um, even though the S10e is sort of boring, it uh, it has grown on me. So the Moto G Power's got some ground to cover, and it's again, it's probably not fair to compare them, you know. But it is uh, also nice to be back on a Moto device, and uh, you know, having all those Moto actions and the the chop for flashlight and all that stuff, it's really convenient. But uh, 
yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, like I said last week, we will see. Um, but yeah, my SIM card's in it. We'll uh, just keep trucking with it and see see how it goes. And hopefully I can report back next week and uh, we'll see where my SIM card is at that point. All right, so the last thing on the agenda today is the uh, last, or I, I teased it last week, but uh, my phone fixing adventures. I did get another iPhone in to fix that was generously donated. Uh, and I had kind of mentioned that I would probably end up actually using this at some point, uh, which is part of why the Moto G power might be out of the, you know, out of the mix here pretty soon because uh, I do want to try this out. So basically the story here is that this uh, iPhone uh, was donated by uh, Noah, uh, my friend Noah, who's been on the podcast in the past a long time ago. But uh, yeah, he's uh, in the Apple, Apple ecosystem. Uh, he had an iPhone 8, uh, a 64 gigabyte gray version uh, that Basically, the home button stopped working because uh, it had taken a spin through the washer. <laughs> so he accidentally, I think, left it in a pocket and it went through a wash cycle in his washer. Uh, and so um, Noah actually also donated a first generation iPad, but I'll talk about that probably maybe next week. Uh, but either way, yeah, so he donated this iPhone 8, uh, which is, you know, not too old at this point compared, well, compared to the iPhone 6S that I have, it's, uh, you know, the newest iPhone I've had my hands on. Um, and so because it is 64 gigabytes, I might actually use it. Uh, I, you know, want to carry around my music collection, which is, I think, about 16 gigabytes. So I couldn't do that on the iPhone 6s because the, the whole phone itself was 16 gigabytes. So uh, that's part of why I think it's uh, an option to use the iPhone, this iPhone, as a, you know a main phone and try out iOS uh, in its you know in its entirety. <laughs> so um, yeah. So basically, what happened? Uh, like I said, the home button wasn't working, so I got the phone from him. And I opened it up naturally to, to take a look at everything. And uh, shockingly, it was really simple. There was actually a corrosion on the home button connector cable uh, where it connected to whatever it connects to. <laughs> the little Lego connector, as uh, Jerry Rig everything might call it. And uh, there, yeah, there was clearly corrosion on there. So it was easy enough to take some alcohol and a toothbrush to clean that up. Uh, the one thing that happened though when I opened the phone up is that I tore the really, really fragile screen cables that uh, connect to the motherboard. <laughs> so uh, I wasn't careful enough. Um, and so basically the I got it all cleaned up, uh, got that, that uh, home button connector cleaned up. But I didn't have a way to test to see if I had a, if it act, had actually resolved the home button not working because I had broken the screens. But uh, luckily, uh, iPhone screens, especially iPhone 8 now, those prices for those screens, a uh, good one, is actually gone down quite a bit, and they're actually fairly cheap to get in. So I did order one in right away uh, and got that in. So I put uh, put everything back together with the new screen on it. Uh, with, very carefully not you know careful not to tear the cables and i put it all back together and uh presto <laughs> the home button was working again so uh it was an easy fix uh, i really wish i hadn't torn those cables on the original screen because if i had managed to 
to keep that screen intact it, the it wouldn't this repair wouldn't have costed anything so it would have been uh just open up the screen clean up the connector put everything back together and uh, would have been working so unfortunately i did have to buy a screen but you live and you learn you know i'm trying i'm still not a professional at fixing these devices so i need a little bit more nimble fingers when i'm working on these iphones i think i went into it a little too fast a little rushed uh, trying to get the screen off etc but uh yeah overall still happy to take apart iphones they're pretty easy uh, and happy to get this one back together and working. So an iPhone 8 uh, that was donated um, with a nice simple fix, uh, very happy. Like I said, it'd be easy enough to set this up as a main device now. Uh, but I do still need a case for it, which I did order and hopefully will be here soon. So that would be the one last thing I think to, you know, because it is, it's a glass sandwich, so, or a metal sandwich with glass bread. <laughs> <laughs> I think is really how it should be said, but uh, yeah. So I need I would need a case before I, you know, would use this on a daily basis. But uh, also, I think in the future, in the near future, I'd have to swap in a new battery as well. I did check the battery health was at eighty five percent, which isn't horrible, horrible, but uh, definitely something that could use uh, uh, replacing. So that's. Uh, where I'm at with that. So that's the iPhone 8 that I got in to try out. And again, it's not the plus version, so it's the nice hand size version, which uh, I think is very much like the brand new uh, iPhone SE. It has that same body and design of the, of that. So just with the older internals, etc. But uh, honestly, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference uh, in my case. So yeah, looking forward to, to trying that out when I get that, that case in. And maybe I'll convert to iOS forever. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's going to be hard to get away from Android, obviously. But uh, I really want to try and give it a go. I don't want to, you know, discount iOS just because I've been on Android for so long. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll, again, a lot of that, a lot of we'll see going on in my life right now. But uh, I'm excited to have all these phones to try out, the, the G Power, the, the S10e, the, the iPhone 8. I feel like a, feel like a tech reviewer, but uh, not really. Uh, yeah, I'll leave that to the people who know what they're doing, who have a method to that. I'm, I'm just trying these things out. But uh, thanks again to Noah for donating that. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to get it fixed up and back up and operating and I, it won't go to waste whether I keep it or not um, and we'll we'll just uh, well I'll have to report back and, and see how how it goes we'll see as always all right so let's wrap things up here on episode 110 of the pixel swim podcast as always head on over to pixelswim.com for all the show notes from today's episode with all the, all the links uh, to the things I talked about. So, and if you ever uh, want to leave any feedback, there's plenty of places to do it there as well. Uh, social media, comment section on the show page, etc. Uh, it's all there for you to click or tap on and get going, etc. But uh, <laughs> either way, uh, hopefully we'll have some more to talk about next week as far as the phone fixing and the iPhone testing and Moto G8ing. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in and making it this far into the podcast. Uh, again, let's wrap it up on episode 110. Uh, have a great afternoon or evening, 
or summer or winter or whatever hemisphere it is <laughs> that you're in when you're listening to this. Have a great one. Thanks again and God speed. <laughs>